Today's scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of the ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Laura, for reading scripture and music team for leading us in worship. Uh, My co-pastor today, Mike Stroh, is under the weather, so you're stuck uh, with me a little bit more than you might want. But uh, my family and I have been gone for a few weeks. We took a trip up to the Northwest to see my mom and my brother and oldest son and some other friends, um, but we're grateful to be back. It's hard to believe that it's already the 2nd of October, um, and uh, even the consumer portion of the Christmas season seems to have already begun. If you've gone to like Home Depot or Walmart, you would notice that. But um, the image that comes to mind as I think of um, that consumer aspect of the Christmas season is, is that of Black Friday. People lining up in the early morning hours and, and ultimately having scrumming over electronics. Uh, and now, mind you, I've never participated in Black Friday, and nor am I saying that whether you do or don't is a thing. I that's great. I'm just saying I don't speak from personal experience. I'm more of a Cyber Monday type person. Um, I like to be physically disconnected from the crowd. The idea of going out in the middle of the night and standing uh, with a bunch of people only to fight your way into a Walmart to, to get some item, that's just not appealing to me. Um, uh, you know, Cyber Monday, which is really Monday through Friday, I think, if we're being honest with ourselves, or probably Monday through Sunday, you're physically disconnected from the crowds, still able to access the great deals, right? Um, church attendance can be like that, too. Religious affiliation and church attendance has been in decline in America since the turn of the 21st century, according to those who track those sorts of statistics, and even... Committed Christians are attending church less often, at least physically attending church less often. Why Why is that? Well, uh, demographic factors certainly come into play. Affluence, apparently studies show that the more affluence you have, the less likely you feel the need to attend church. Family composition comes into play. Right? You know, estranged, uh, separated parents, dual custody, single. It's, life is hard for a lot of people. Getting to a church on a Sunday morning is hard. 
It can be hard for my wife and I with four kids and our flesh, right? And then there's the rise of online options. That's my loose tie-in to, to Cyber Monday if you're trying to track where I'm going here. This rise of online options, it allows people to at least attend... But at the root of all of them is perhaps really a failure to see a direct benefit of engagement or attendance as part of the local church. And that really is the fault of of those who lead churches as well. Do we really appreciate what is the direct benefit to you and I as disciples of Jesus, of physically being present in this sanctuary and joining in corporate worship? That's, That's what we're going to be looking at for our time together this morning. In the introduction to his book, Desiring the Kingdom, James K.A. Smith takes his reader on a tour of, of what he calls one of the most important religious sites in our metropolitan era. It's a temple, if you will, he says. It's a place that's so familiar as to be mundane, and he takes his reader on a tour of this temple, and he invites them with, with a set of fresh eyes to see. Well, that temple that Smith describes here is the shopping mall. You may have read his book. And the core claim of his book, which he sets up in this introduction, is that the the liturgies that we participate in, the activities of our lives, the things that we say, the things that we do, the people that we do it with, they, they shape and they constitute our identities by forming our fundamental desires and how we interact with the world around us. He, he uses this shopping mall as a metaphor analogous to a religious site because he wants the reader to see that the mall experience, like so many other things that we participate in on, in our daily lives, they're full of practices that are formative. And they're formative where much is at stake. He makes an argument, and I think it's absolutely compelling, and he's not the only one to make it, but he, he argues that we're shaped by our desires because as, as physical creatures, as embodied souls, our orientation to the world is, is shaped from the body up more than it is from the head down. Now that might sound strange to many of us. We might argue it's just the opposite, but I think that there's definitely more to it than we would give it credit. You are what you love, he says, if you want to summarize the whole book in one phrase. You are what you love. And the liturgies that we engage in, they, they train our hearts through our bodies. It's why physically participating in something, being present to something, is so important to transforming our hearts and our desires. What it's why our spiritual disciplines won't really have a transformative effect until we get down to the heart level of our desires. And so much, friends, of our discipleship, at least as long as I've been a Christian, and that's shorter than a lot of you, a lot of our discipleship is focused at the intellectual level, at the idea level, in the mind. And we really need to be getting down to the heart Because desires are are fundamentally powerful influences. James, not James K. Smith, but James, the half-brother of Jesus, reminds us, he says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, friends, you and I, fundamentally, we, we act and we live really out of our desires. And so God is calling us to a place where, where we will lay ourselves before him, fully open to the work of the Spirit to transform our desires as we grow in to Christ's likeness. And, and that, my friends, is part of what I want to impress upon each of us today, that, that when we gather in this place together, we're not just consuming information. We're laying ourselves out in front of the Lord together and in one another to be transformed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're continuing this morning in our sermon series we've titled, Be the Church, where we're exploring, spoiler alert, what it means to be the church. And last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, Mike uh, Stroh opened the series by, by impressing upon us that what makes a church a church is people in the presence of God, in the power of his spirit. And last Sunday, he, he preached from 1 Corinthians, exhorting us to embrace our corporate identity in Christ, drawing on the body imagery that the Apostle Paul uses as but one of a number of metaphors that we find in the scripture for the church, a building, a flock, but the body. Now, the early church understood both the spiritual and and practical benefits of of gathering together as the body of Christ in ways that perhaps we, in the information age, the 21st century New Testament church, we, we may have lost and we would do well to reclaim. And so the question that we're seeking to answer this morning is why do we gather as a church? Why not just sit at home and dial in through the Facebook live stream? Why not just consume various teachers and preachers electronically? Why is it vital to our spiritual lives that we gather? That's the question that I hope to address this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you with such gratitude, God, that you have called us out of a, of lives that are broken, lives that yield to the desires that, that when left to take root become sin and sin that leads to death. We thank you, Father, that your son Jesus paid the price that we can gather before you and that your purpose is not to leave us alone to our own destruction, but to save us from ourselves and from the world and, and from Satan and to draw us closer to you. And so, Father, be with us this morning. Open our minds, open our hearts. Guide my words, Lord. Help me to be clear. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've... For those of you that have maybe heard part of my story, I've said it before. I, I didn't grow up in a religious home as a child growing up. My parents, um, I would describe as ambivalent. I don't say that in a negative way. I just, as I reflect back on my childhood, we didn't talk about faith at home. There were certainly seasons of doing things like vacation Bible school as a kid or going to church, but, um, 
church just wasn't our thing and faith wasn't a part of our life. And those certainly weren't conversations that I ever had with my parents. My my dad was an avid sailor. He grew up in Boston on the Charles River. He taught sailing. And so there was a period in my life when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my parents bought a small sailboat. We lived in the lower peninsula of Michigan on Lake Huron. And the summers, my dad wanted to sail. And, and it was marvelous. And so we spent summer weekends sailing on this little lake. And I just, I have this really vivid memory of being on the boat one time with my family. And I, out of nowhere, I asked my dad, why why don't we go to church? I don't know where the question came from. I don't think I had friends that went to church, but I remember my dad's response very clearly. I can see him sitting there. Um, You know, my dad was in the Air Force. He's got his cool aviator sunglasses, cigarette in his mouth, you know, tiller in one hand, you know, the, uh, the sheets in the other. And, and he looks at me and he's like, well, this, this is church. This is church. And I, I don't know what my dad's relationship to Christ was, um, but his response certainly bears out the truth of Romans 1 that it, in that my dad certainly bore witness to God in what God has made. And I've met others in my Christian walk, Christians who have told me that they don't go to church. They prefer to commune with God in nature. It's a similar view. But I, but I really want to carefully posit to you that I don't think that's what God means when he calls us to assemble. Everything is God's creation. Everything displays the glory of God. But everything isn't church. Now, it's not as simple as that, as I hope you'll see toward the end here. But but let's look back to the Old Testament, right? God has decided that, that Israel, this, this people, he's the one that he's going to raise up and to make a great nation as a demonstration of, of his power and his glory. And at one point in the story, as we all, I hope, are familiar with, God calls Israel to assemble at Mount Sinai. He had led them through the desert to Mount Zion where he fixed his dwelling, right? He's led them through the desert. He's brought them to Sinai. He gives them their identity. They wander through the desert. Ultimately, they end up at Mount Zion where the temple is built and God fixes his dwelling. He fills the temple with his glory and he calls the people to come and worship at various feasts throughout the year. So this idea of assembling in response to God's call has roots all the way back to the beginning of the story when God rescues a people enslaved to Egypt and draws them out to make them ultimately a great nation of land and people and descendants. And so my first point is that we gather as New Testament Christians in in obedience to God's call to worship and to witness. We, We worship in obedience to God's call on our lives. Mike Stroh pointed out that the Greek word we find in the New Testament for church is a, is a Greek word, ecclesia. It means the assembly or the called out ones. It's, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew term that's found in the Old Testament that describes the assembly of a group of people. We translate this word as church, but it literally means those who are called out by God. The called out ones. 
When Jesus speaks of the church in the New Testament scriptures, he uses the term with a richness of Old Testament meaning. Israel was God's assembly when God assembled them before him to make his covenant with them at Mount Sinai. It was the culmination of their exodus redemption. When he calls them to the foot of this mountain, he calls Moses to the top of the mountain, and he says, this is what makes you my people. And the people assembled in obedience. It's what we heard Moses reference this morning in our call to worship. This idea of obedience and following the law. And at the end of that passage, he says, remind your children that God called you to the mountain. And you assembled before him and he told you to be obedient. And so we we worship in obedience to God's call. When the apostles use this word, they refer to the, to the act of the assembling of the persons who are brought together by God's own calling for the purpose of hearing the gospel proclaimed by the reading of the word and in partaking of the Lord's table. That's what the apostles are talking about when they refer to the church. It's how we order our worship service in this sanctuary, centered on the proclamation of the word and the celebration of the Lord's table. Communal worship, this idea of worshiping together, embodied and in person, it's, it's an expression of our calling. And when we do it communally and together and in person, we make it concrete in our lives and we witness it to the world around us. We worship in obedience to God's call on our lives. Second, we, we worship because we can. If you look at verse 19 of our scripture passage this morning, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You see, it's the blood of God the Son that has given us direct access to God the Father in God the Spirit. Under the old covenant, God's presence was shielded from sinful humanity. God had given instructions to the Israelites to build the tabernacle, God's dwelling place. It was this many-layered tent, right? Tent of the meeting. And God's presence was deep inside in the behind a curtain in the Holy of Holies. And the temple built in Jerusalem was really a, a, a more grander model of that tent. And priests were the ones who interceded on behalf of the people. The people didn't have a direct interaction with God. The priests would go into the temple. The priests would only enter the Holy of Holies one day out of the year to atone for the sins of the people. Yet we worship as a living witness to God with access to God that, that as we read here, we can enter the holy places. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has made God accessible to you and to me. He goes on in verse 20 to say, it's the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And I I just want to point out that it's a new and it's a living way. A living way that we do together. The church is an organism. It's a living body. It's not an information system. 
I'm a remote worker in my job. I sit in Dallas, Texas. My employers in Northern Virginia, the people I work with are all over the country. I, I connect with them by means of an information system. It's efficient. It keeps me employed. My boss is happy. I get my work done. My paycheck shows up. But there's a lot of things that I miss interacting with my team. There's a lot of things that happen in the organization that I belong to that, that I'm not a part of, that don't influence me, that I don't influence. Sure, we can be, we can learn as Christians. We can hear great teaching. We can worship God. But I want to submit to you, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. Lord knows I've dialed into church remotely for the last three weeks. But I'm saying that something is missing if that's all that you're doing. The church is an organism, not an information system. I'm pretty sure that most of you are connected to the other parts of your body in a very physical way. I don't know many of you that have got body parts sitting at home connecting to you through the World Wide Web. Okay? I thought that maybe that would be funny, but it's not. But anyway. <laughs> the church is an organism. It's not an information system. And look at verses 21 through 23. He says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. We can approach God confidently because of the assurance of our salvation which comes from the forgiveness of sins. We've gathered corporately here this morning. We've made a corporate confession of our need for a Savior. And God has given us assurance of our salvation, the once and for all work of Christ, and the continuing appropriation of the benefits of that sacrifice, which comes through the repeated confession of our sins together. James, again, the brother of Jesus, he suggests the importance of public confession. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Church fathers who lived shortly after the apostles wrote, you are not to withdraw into yourselves and live in solitude as though God had already pronounced you holy. Come and take your full share in the meetings and in deliberating for the common good. Scripture says, and they're quoting Isaiah here, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Their point is to say is that there is something that uniquely occurs when we gather together as the called out ones of Jesus Christ, when we come together in worship. The author of Hebrews later on in chapter 12, he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Worship is many things, friends. And I pray and I hope that you and I worship every moment in every context of our lives on any day of the week. But the point that I'm trying to drive home is that there's something uniquely spiritual about gathering together as the body in worship. It's part of our acceptable worship. And we can't exclude it. We can't even, I would dare say, make it the minority aspect of our worship. The second Helvetic Confession, it's the latter of two documents that was written in the 1500s that expresses the common belief of the Calvinist churches of Switzerland, says, 
The church is a company of the faithful, called and gathered out of the world, who by faith are partakers of all those good graces which are freely offered through Christ. This phrase one of my seminary professors used uh, has always struck with me, or stuck with me rather, sanctifying grace, a pouring out of sanctifying grace, which really is my second point. We gather as an embodied community of followers of Jesus to be transformed, to be sanctified by this grace that God Pours out. John Wesley understood God's grace to be threefold, a, a prevenient grace that comes to sinners before they know God, helping them to recognize their need for him. And then there's a, a justifying grace, Wesley says, that provides believers with forgiveness from sin. Think of justifying grace as, as the grace that at that point in time when you trust Christ as your Savior and, and you're saved. And then he says there's a sanctifying grace that imparts the purifying process that enables Christians to become more Christ-like. You see, friends, you and I, when we trust Jesus, we're saved. In the eyes of God, we're we're holy and we're perfect. But, But you and I still are sinful human beings, and God's working out a process in our lives through a number of ways that he dispenses his sanctifying grace to make us more into the likeness of his Son, to improve our capacity to be his witnesses, to demonstrate his heart and his character to the world. And friends, a big part of that happens right here in this sanctuary. Now, both the the New Testament term and Old Testament term that we translate as church denotes an actual assembly of people and that we actually assemble as the church is the point I'm making is significant to our sanctification. I think that as a modern church, we've lost sight of the divine mystery of God in a lot of senses. We live in an era where it's got to be seen to believe, to be believed rather. We want scientific proof, but there's a huge part of the kingdom of God that's divinely mysterious, and God invites us to a place of, of both acknowledging that and being comfortable with that. And as strange as it may sound to you, I believe that when we gather as God's called out people in this sanctuary, there is a divinely mysterious pouring out of sanctifying grace that happens here that that doesn't happen in the same way other places. I'm not saying this is the only place you get it, but friends, I'm saying you miss out on it if you're not gathered in the assembly before God to worship as his witness and to be sanctified. God's presence makes us his people. The presence of Jesus constitutes the church as his temple. It's a temple, the scriptures tell us, built of living stones. And the church is sanctified by the presence of his spirit. We, we assemble in this sanctuary because the scripture says this is where Jesus is when we come together. He comes by the Holy Spirit to where we are, right? Where two or more are gathered in my name. There am I among them. Now, can Jesus, is Jesus present with other believers when they gather in somebody's home? Yes. The sanctuary doesn't make it worship. It's God's presence among us which makes us his people, and it's the presence of Christ among us 
which constitutes the church as his temple. And that's part of this divine mystery that I'm talking about that makes this gathering so important and beneficial to our spiritual lives. It's the direct benefit that so many people can't see. And friends, you and I don't see it. But I tell you in absolute confidence that God is doing a work in our lives, individually and corporately, every time we gather together in this place. I came to Christ when I was 40 years old. And as I said, there were seasons of my life that I attended church. And I don't know why. I was probably doing it for really selfish reasons. I can, we don't have time. All that to say, I'm convinced this day that God in his faithfulness, my attending church sporadically over 40 years of my life was part of his prevenient grace that brought me to a point of, of salvation through his justifying grace. I'm convinced that while I couldn't recite or recount for you a single message I ever heard in a church in my life before I was saved, that God did something with that. That being in his presence among other believers and other followers had an effect on my life. And none of us should miss out on that. And the other part of the mystery is that that, that we don't see is that God's assembly includes all of his holy ones. All of his holy ones. The scriptures tell us that that we join together as earthly saints in the presence of, of angelic hosts who are in heaven praising God and worshiping with us. The earthly Jerusalem and the temple and this church, they're, they're but an earthly shadow of a heavenly reality. And yet, as the author of Hebrew reminds us that That we as New Testament Christians, we can approach heaven's assembly. Again, in chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, he says, And when we do, when we do assemble together, we join the myriad of angels and the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Boldly, we may approach God himself as the judge of all and Jesus and his sprinkled blood, the blood of the new covenant. And so, friends, we we don't just gather together. People we like, some we like less, donuts we love. We don't, we don't just come together to hear a mediocre sermon. We, we join with an angelic host in the souls of those who ascended to heaven before us to, to worship God and to be a witness to the world and to be transformed by the presence of His Spirit. As Christ God, is God rather, personally with us, so is the church Christ personally with us, right? This image of the body. The church is the the very flesh and blood of Christ on earth. Christ who's ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. We are his flesh and blood on earth. And so we gather to encourage one another to love and good works as our Scripture passage says, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author is saying there's an urgency to meeting together, and don't neglect it as some have. 
but meet together because the day is coming when Christ will return and gather his followers. We need to encourage one another to love and good works. You see, our human proclivity, my proclivity certainly is to, is to give in to all the distractions and neglect to meeting together. Even as a pastor, some Sundays it feels like, man, it's, it's an inconvenience to have to go to church. That's probably sounds really sinful to you, but I'm just telling you, I'm a human being too. Sometimes I'm too tired to go to Bible study. Sometimes I'm too tired to go to church. But we're exhorted to, to go. And why? Because we encourage one another to love and good deeds. How many times in your life have you thought to yourself, I don't really feel like going to Bible study, but you do anyway. And at the end of it, you go, man, I'm so glad I went. Does that happen to you ever? Does that happen more often? I, I hope you've experienced that because I think that's part of what he's talking about. And, and, and I'll tell you something else that there are people who I think, well, you know, I don't, I don't have the same worldview politically as that person. I don't like what they might post on a social media post. You know, I can think less kind thoughts about them from a distance. But I will tell you, every time I'm with them in person here, I'm reminded that, you know, I actually care about this person. And that, to me, is one of the strongest demonstrations of, of this this exhortation, that we gather one with one another to encourage one another to love and good works. And, and we're transformed when we rub up against these different members of the body. You see, a big problem in the church today is people want to leave and go to churches where everybody looks like them, thinks like them, votes like them, talks like them. And that's a really comfortable place to be. But I don't think that's what God has planned for his church. Right? Scripture says the temple is built with living stones joined to Christ as the chief cornerstone. And so when various members of the body are absent from our corporate worship, there's living stones that are absent from this temple. I kind of made this point earlier. The grace that we can transmit to one another is impoverished. If you're only getting Mike Traben's point of view or interacting with me, you're, you're not getting everything you can get out of God's fellow image bearers that he's placed in your sphere of influence. And so, friends, we gather as this worshipful witness to be transformed by the sanctifying grace that we receive through our gathering. And we gather to encourage one another to love and good works. Well, how do we apply it to our lives? I use this image at the beginning of like Black Friday, right? Consumers fighting for the electronic things that will help them just be more disconnected from the rest of humanity or people sitting at home ordering goods and services or but in the book of revelation at the end of our scriptures we're presented with a different image not a consumerist image if you will but an image of a of a great multitude from every nation tribe people and language who are who are standing before the throne and the scripture tells us they're standing in the presence of the elders and the angels, and they're praying, and they're praising, and they're worshiping. That's the image I think we want to hold on to when we think of why should we gather as God's called out people. 
Two applications. The first one is connect and serve. I'm borrowing a phrase that, that we have said a lot here at Trinity, but but I think worshiping, it starts with worshiping in the sanctuary. It's one of our values. It's one of our distinctives. Worship, or excuse me, it's part of our strategy, if you will, for how we make disciples in this church. It starts with worshiping in the sanctuary. And so we should make every effort to come together as people, not neglecting as is the habit of some. And again, I please, for those who can't be here regularly and join online, thank God for the technology that we have that allows you to do that. But we should gather in the sanctuary and, the, and, and elevate personal relationships. You see, a lot of reason why people are opting for online church is because they've elevated the value of attendance over engagement. Hey, I attended church. Check the block. Got a perfect record. Yep, I, I did. Okay, attendance does matter, but, but so does engagement. So we've got to elevate personal relationships because it's through these personal relationships that we grow in our capacity and our posture to, to love others and even to receive the love of others. You see, learning to love is actually a very physical thing. Love is, is learned through embodied personation. You've got to practice love. Anyone here ever loved their spouse even though they weren't feeling like it? Right? I mean, we've all probably had moments like that if you've been in any sort of relationship. I love you, but I don't like you right now. I mean, we've said those things. But but being in that circumstance is part of what teaches us to love and to receive the love of others. So worship in the sanctuary, elevate personal relationships, love people, and cultivate a heart to serve. I, I don't think we can do those things in isolation, at least in any other way than feeling good about ourselves. That, yeah, I did that. Check that block. God's divinely happy with me today. And he, he might be to some degree. Don't hear me say he's not. And then this one, this last one might sound counterintuitive. We're, this whole sermon about why we should gather. There's a, a spiritual benefit to our gathering together that we don't want to miss out on. And this application is to practice solitude. Well, that, that sounds really paradoxical. But to enable our capacity to be, to be part of a, to be a life-giving part of a community of those who are called out before the Lord first requires that we're intimately, ideally, I should say, requires that we're intimately connected to the one from whom all life flows. So solitude is a practice. It's a spiritual discipline. It, re- it removes us from the, the mindless humdrum of everyday life and calls us into a higher consciousness that reconnects us with God as the source of life. And it, it helps us reconnect with ourselves to see us in light of who God is. And also maybe even reconnects us with the rest of creation. You see, God can best do his work in and through us when we're present to him. And so setting ourselves before the Lord in solitude to be transformed by his spirit, it, it reinvigorates us to be part of his community. And friends, don't hear me say that every waking moment of your life should be sent, should be spent rather in the assembly with other Christians. 
But coming together on Sunday is meant to renew us and to recharge us and to reinvigorate us, to go out and be God's witness in every other sphere of our lives. And so we have to be present to God. And so we gather to worship as witnesses to God's magnificent glory. We gather to be transformed in the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with some divine mystery that can't be measured or explained, but I'm certain happens when we gather together and the word is proclaimed and we partake of the table. God is pouring out his sanctifying grace upon you and me. And we gather, friends, to encourage one another to love and good deeds. And so may we be a people who gathers. May we be a people who doesn't neglect to meet together, but does so to encourage one another, especially as the day draws near. Would you pray with me? Father, we just give you thanks that, God, that you are so plainly obvious that we can see you in all of creation, that you have clearly proclaimed who you are through the things that you have done, the things that you do, the things that you promise to do, and that, God, you have irrefutably demonstrated who you are through your son, Jesus, through his words and through his works, through his witness that lives on thousands and thousands of years after he walked this earth, We're thankful for those things. And Lord, we're thankful that by his sacrifice that the the veil has been rent in two, that we have access to you in the power of the Spirit. And that God, that you have purposed your church to come together in a rhythm of life that we would be in your presence, that we would worship, that the world would see us as your witnesses and that you would be at work by the power of your Spirit in our hearts and in our minds, and in our lives, and in our worlds, through what you are doing in us and through us. God, help us to grow in our capacity to be your very flesh and blood here on earth. Help us to see this worship service not just as the thing we attend to hear good words or entertaining stories, Lord, but but that that we're laying ourselves before you to be transformed by the power of your spirit in innumerable ways that we can't see or feel, but that your word assures us is taking place. And God, help us to continue to walk out our calling in this difficult life, in all of our circumstances, and know that the ultimate act of your grace is our glorification when we are fully in the presence of you for an eternity, we won't have questions. Our desires will be only for you and God. Your presence will make all of that the greatest thing that we've ever known. Help us to be your church. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us stand together.